Welcome to HR Masters, a podcast where we sit down and talk about key learnings and best practices with the masters of human resources. Find us through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other platforms. Now sit back and get ready to get your masters in HR with our host, Jordi Romero. Welcome to HR Masters. Today, we're very happy to have uh, Alison Eastaway. How are you, Alison? I'm well, thanks. How are you, Jordi? Very, very good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Alison is heading uh, talent at Screen. Um, Alison and I met at an event because we have a shared investor, Point9 Capital. Uh, it was great to meet you. We had a lot of chats about you know, our HR challenges and startup challenges in general. And today we would like to hear your, your learnings and your story, especially around you know, the fact that your company was started in Paris and now expanded their, their, their office and their, their presence into the US in San Francisco. So we would like to discuss a little bit about those challenges. But first of all, tell us, you know, where do you come from, Alison? Sure. Um, so my accent's a little bit messed up these days, but I am originally from Sydney, Australia. Um, I moved to Paris um, around about seven years ago um, and uh, never intended to work in HR, uh, given how different it is from, from Australia to France. So you probably couldn't find two more different countries, um, but ended up back in, uh, in the industry a little bit by accident um, and a happy accident at that um, because the startup scene in Paris is, is really exciting and, and that's where I've landed today with Screen. Good. So you said um, you didn't plan to end up doing HR in Paris, but what did you do before? Yeah, absolutely. So I started out um, my HR career uh, in Sydney working in oil and gas, um, okay. which is actually uh, not dissimilar to the tech industry in terms of uh, lack of diversity, um, in terms of all, all the different career paths that people, people can have from retail to drilling. Um, so it was actually a really good, uh, really good setup for me for entering the tech industry. But um, I originally moved to Paris, um, like I think a lot of English speakers do, with a sort of a dream um, and a couple of pairs of shoes, intending to, to write books for a living. Um, and uh, right? I, I guess, yeah, yeah. And uh, look, look, it partly worked out. Um, but basically, I was, uh, I was writing books uh, and uh, also teaching English, because uh, Paris is, is not the cheapest of cities, and, and I like to eat. Um, and basically uh, ended up teaching English to a lot of professionals um, in different businesses around France. So everything from fashion houses like Chanel um, to the Energy Authority, um, which is a very old school sort of French industry. Um, and I ended up actually uh, working in a French digital company teaching their financial controller English. Um, and a little bit tongue in cheek as English speakers are want to do, I, I did a few calculations for him in his English lesson. And I, I said, listen, you're spending this much um, you know, on an external agency. I'm taking home this much. What about we meet in the middle? Um, and actually negotiated my way into a full-time uh, job inside a French company teaching English. Um, Okay. Now, it's very easy with retrospect to make a really clear narrative out of all the choices you make. Um, at the time, <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, great opportunity. Um, but I actually landed in their HR team as a trainer. Um, and so I would yep. sit with this French team, um, hear them talking about their recruitment objectives for the year. Um, and I sort of, I'd sort of pipe up and say, hey, if you're doing 100 recruitments this year, have you thought about getting an applicant tracking system? Um, and, uh, you know, if, uh, if you're having trouble with learning and development, have you thought about peer-based training instead of all external? Um, and over time, they got a little bit annoyed um, with the Australian uh, English teacher telling them what to do. And they said, listen, Alison, why don't you just, you know, do it um, and come back into the profession? So that's sort of how I ended up back um, in the industry. Wow. And, and I'm happy I did. 
Okay, so tell us a little bit more about Screen. What does what does the company do? And a little bit, you know, how is it set up? How many people do you have? Uh, also, I already said you have office in uh, in the U.S. and also in Europe. So tell us more about the company. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, Screen. Uh, what we're doing is we're securing web applications. Um, basically, traditional security uh, is very old-fashioned, very black box, um, mysterious. You don't know what's happening. Um, and, and traditional security vendors want to keep things that way, of course. That's the value proposition. Um, you sell fear. Um, and, you know, that's a very compelling, um, I guess, positioning. Uh, screen uh, is not in the business of selling fear. Um, and so basically what we try to do is to democratize security and to open it up um, for internal teams. So that could be developers um, in startups or, or small to medium businesses which don't yet have dedicated security teams, or it could be um, security specialists um, who also get value out of using our products and um, protecting their web applications in real time. Today, um, there's 40 of us in the team, um, 30 based out of Paris, um, which is our product engineering organization, and then 10 um, based in San Francisco, which is our sales and marketing teams. Um, it's, yeah, it's pretty interesting actually having, um, so French culture is, uh, is very strong. Um, and uh, very different to American culture, I guess you could put it that way. Um, and I, I guess a lot of people ask us how we go about um, melding both French and American culture, but more specifically a product engineering culture with a sales culture. Um, and, you know, there's a big temptation. It's like everything, everything is upside down, right? Developers versus salespeople, French people versus American people. Time zone, you know, completely upside down. Exactly. Nine hours of time difference. It could be a recipe for disaster. Um, so, how's it going? <laughs> honestly, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the job that we've done and what's left to do. Um, I think there's a few okay. factors um, okay. that sort of set us up for more success, perhaps, than, than others who've tried it. Um, mm -hmm. The first one being shared language. Um, so, from virtually day one at Screen, um, we spoke English uh, in the Paris office. Um, that might not sound that exceptional um, in other European cities, but in, in, in Paris, um, it's pretty exceptional. There's about five companies in the city who work in English. Um, but do you have a lot of uh, French people in our Paris office or is it mostly international people? So um, the team in Paris is reasonably international, but there's still a heavy majority of French people. Um, mm -hmm. We have a Spanish uh, office operations manager. I'm Australian. We have um, an engineer we brought over from Latvia. We previously had a long-term freelancer working with us who was Polish. Um, there, uh, we have somebody who's based in Portugal. Um, and I guess um, enough internationalism, um, yeah. I guess crucially from day one from people who didn't speak French. I was gonna say, so day one, there was already somebody who didn't speak French in the company? So it was interesting. Um, if you go back sort of to the very early days, um, so two co-founders, both French, Pierre and Jean-Baptiste, um, but who had worked for um, six and 10 years respectively at Apple. Um, so between Paris and Cupertino. So who already had that very international uh, working in English mindset. Um, their first engineer was also French, but one of the first interns they had on, had on board um, didn't speak any French. Um, and it was such a great positioning from day one to switch. Um, and then to just never switch back. Um, so the majority of the team, even if they're not French, do speak French. Um, so there's a possibility to slip into French and only translate for the one or two who don't speak it. Um, but that's definitely not the case. Um, if you hear French in the office, um, you'll have sort of five people who immediately say English, please. Um, and it's a very sort of self-fulfilling system, I find. Okay. 
Sorry for the background noise, something just started going on here. So you mentioned um, also like sales and uh, engineering being in, in the different offices. Tell us a little bit more, what's the communication between these two teams? Like, what are they mostly independent? Do they collaborate every day? Uh, what's, what's the level of uh, interconnectivity between US and, and Paris? So I, I guess there's crucial parts of the way we organize, given where we came from. So originally, our very first salesperson was sitting in the office with the engineers in Paris, and then we moved mm -hmm. him over to San Francisco and then built the team out over there. And I think that's quite uh, been quite key to our success. Um, uh, what it meant was the San Francisco office was started with seeds from people who knew the rest of the company. Um, and I think that's key. Um, you can hire the best people ever in a new location, but if they haven't spent some time absorbing the DNA of the company, it can be hard to get things right. Um, that said, basically today, it's essential that we're building something that our customers actually want and need. Um, and it's also essential that we're building something that can be sold um, and that we're you know, inversely not selling something that the engineers will then tell you um, it's not possible. You know, the classic conflicts. Yeah, I mean, that's good to have in any case, not just for a distributed team. So how, how did the landing go? So you started selling, you said, in Paris, but then who was the first person to go to San Francisco? Was it, you know, the team in Paris that set up base there and started hiring for how long? Yeah, yeah. So basically we were, um, I guess, importantly, our customer base was already geography agnostic. Um, which presented a lot of challenges when you work out of a, a Paris time zone um, if you're servicing uh, North American customers with the, with the time difference. So we already sort of had a foothold over there. And then we went across at the beginning of 2018 and did the Y Combinator program, um, which sort of increased our exposure to that market. Um, and then about six months ago, our CEO and co-founder, Pierre, moved across uh, and took our first sales and first marketing uh, hires with him. Um, and then basically, uh, I worked with uh, with the team there and also a, a few partners over there to hire um, our first U.S. sales, um, which now we have three um, plus three people in the sales team and uh, two people in the marketing team. Do you think, um, you know, there was an option to not open the U.S. office? Like, did you consider not opening the U.S. office? I think European uh, startups... Uh, particularly in SaaS, um, I think it's a mistake um, to, to build uh, yourself into a corner and a too European corner too soon. Um, I would almost say the exception um, is Factorial's business, um, HR Tech, I'd almost say is extremely niche, um, anything that's to do with labor laws and regulation. Um, but for us, we're building um, for any software company. Um, and in terms of early Most adopters, of in the US, yeah. exactly, <laughs> they're in the US in terms of maturity around security products um, and crucially around talent. Um, so Paris and Europe in general um, is exceptional for engineering talent. There's great engineering education. Um, the market is, hasn't exploded uh, um, and you get engineers who are, who are quite loyal and willing to say sort of three, four years in the same startup. Um, not yeah. the case in Silicon Valley. Uh, I mean, you're not competing with Facebook, Google, and you know, the light to, around the corner. Yeah, you know, and, and and to some extent, we can be, um, which is which is a nice positioning. I always think it's, um, you know, if anybody ever mentions screen, um, and you know, on the in the same breath, uh, Google, Facebook, Apple, uh, Amazon, that's you know, we're doing something right. Um, it's nice to be considered in that race, and it's been the case for some candidates, but. I think on the flip side, what Europe, um, or at least France in my experience, isn't excellent at yet, um, is producing excellent salespeople who can succeed in um, startup situations. Um, the industry is young, so it's, a, it's very normal. Similar for non-traditional marketing, and in particular for product. Um, it's very difficult to find excellent talent in sort of series B, C plus companies yeah. in Europe. 
Um, yeah. So it made sense for us to, to go where the talent is um, from a go-to-market point of view. I mean, um, we were there together at this event where Jason Lemkin was talking about the challenge of, of hiring sales veterans, and that's the term he always uses. So finding a you know, VP of sales or VP of marketing that has like SaaS experience, you can almost only do in the Bay Area, right? Somebody who's been at Salesforce or has been at you know, any of these great successes, that, that makes a huge difference. So how do you do? Uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I, I'll share one of my, uh, I guess, hacks uh, to, to get around that as well. Look, I, I would say that's true 99% of the time um, that that talent's in the Bay Area. But there's also a really niche sort of population of Europeans, um, particularly French people, who headed over to San Francisco early on in their careers, um, spent five, 10 years over there, um, and are looking uh, for an opportunity to come back to France. We've made a couple of hires like that. Um, and you know, for sure you have to get a, a little bit lucky, um, on finding those profiles. They're a little bit rare. The LinkedIn search is a little bit different that you have to do. Um, but that is one way I think that the European tech ecosystem is becoming attractive to people who want out of San Francisco. And I've seen the pattern repeated a little bit lately. VPs coming from the Bay area out, um, often those with European ties. So it's, you know, it's, uh, I think Europe's doing a good job of uh, marketing itself, if you will. I, yeah, in the quality of life, probably. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those who was in San Francisco and eventually came back to, to Barcelona. And, uh, and, and there's also like, you know, we, we actually interviewed uh, some talent from, from the US, San Francisco, New York, and so on, who considered moving to Europe just because, you know, like they, they want to have an experience, maybe not forever, but for like three, four, five years. And, uh, and then we'll see. So I was going to ask you, uh, now you have around 40 people, right? 10 in the US, 30 in Paris. Uh, do you ever meet all together? Yeah, so it's the first year that this will be the, the question we have, right? Um, so right now, what we do is we've always sort of believed that um, there's a difference between synchronous work and asynchronous work, and we're, we're reasonably good at splitting that out and protecting each other's time. Um, but in terms of relationship building and culture of a company, you, you need to spend time in the same, you know, in the same room, in the same you know, city, um, doing, um, I guess, things like breaking bread together and and things like that. So what we do today is um, all of our engineers in the Paris office travel uh, to San Francisco regularly. Um, now the goal of this is sort of threefold. Um, first of all, so that um, to meet uh, other internal screeners, uh, absolutely to meet the San Francisco team, to cross share knowledge, um, to help our sales and marketers level up on the product. Um, the second thing is to meet um, peers um, to, uh, again, the software engineering industry over there is, is far advanced, um, even in terms of structure or in terms of different career paths for, for French engineers, it can be difficult to see a progression path that isn't into management. So um, great to get them over there to meet principal engineers and staff engineers at other companies to see what that other path might look like. Um, and then the third thing, uh, obviously, is, uh, is about sharing screen culture and, and building those, um, I guess, cross um, country uh, relationships. And so to date, what we do is we send the engineers regularly. Um, and then uh, we also have an onboarding trip in the first three to four months for our San Francisco employees where they spend time in Paris, um, which is not too much of a hard sell for Americans usually uh, yeah. to come over and, uh, and, and spend some time with us. But as for getting everyone together, that will be the question of this year of uh, where makes the most sense? Uh, is there a halfway? Um, uh, what time of year and things like that. But it's the advice I received from 15.5, um, whoever do a great job of being a distributed team um, is, uh, you know, retreats are, are key to their culture. And I, I think we'd be crazy not to, not to listen to them. 
we'll we'll uh, stay tuned and see what you guys do next time next time you meet so other than uh, potentially this this offset or this retreat that you do the whole company um, how do you make this communication happen like do you guys connect in zoom all the time do you have like water cooler conversations do you use slack i guess what are the main communication channels absolutely and and i suppose i should i should preface this by saying we were terrible at it at the very beginning um, I think nobody's uh, good at distributed teams by accident. It takes intentional work. It takes adjustment. Um, one big thing is the difference in energy. Um, you know, this is the prime overlap time from Paris and San Francisco, except it's the end of our day and it's the beginning of theirs. Um, so you automatically have this disconnect. And we found the first meetings we were having, um, you know, there, there'd be sort of disagreements that arose just out of difference in energy and mindset. Um, and you know, the solution to that is just awareness and, you know, and a little bit more gentleness about ourselves and, and, and when we organize things, um, we got. Uh, we basically went through two phases. We went through one, which was information overload. When in doubt, share. Um, and that meant waking up in Paris to 10,000 Slack notifications, your email inbox exploding, so many calls. Um, and then we thought, let's readjust. And then we went to almost radio silence, which doesn't work either. Um, and now we feel like we found a happy medium. So what we do, basically, we have Zoom connected everywhere. Um, when San Francisco wakes up, they turn on their kitchen camera um, and ours is already on. So we oh, can literally, okay. yeah. So you do we actually literally, have a water cooler Zoom. Absolutely. Um, in addition to that, uh, we have- Because usually people stop, stop by and say, hello. Is there absolutely. Oh, really? Oh, absolutely. It's, um, you know, it's, it's every day. Um, you know, it pings, we see what's up. Uh, we run uh, evening events often in Paris. So we leave the Zoom running uh, all the time, which is nice. Um, we have uh, Pierre, our CEO, implemented what he calls virtual coffees, which is we, we use Calendly for scheduling. So um, Pierre in his diary has uh, three slots um, in overlap times per week uh, that are reserved. Nobody else can book them for Paris screeners um, to basically have a non-agenda free conversation as if you're over a coffee. Now at Scream, we're, we're pretty strict about meetings with agendas, outcomes, we're, we're, we want to be productive. And this is the opposite of that. This is let's sit down and see what comes up. Um, and those conversations are usually the most valuable. Um, so everybody in the team does that now. Um, virtual coffees, uh, everybody has their links. Um, and we really encourage that. So I think that's been key. Um, and then I guess there's um, intentional communication. So you, I guess when you know that somebody... Um, that you'll be asleep when somebody replies to your email. It makes you anticipate better the questions they might have to make sure that you don't lose a day. That makes sense. That's reasonable. Uh, you're mentioning a couple of times the, the time zone difference. So I, I had this challenge, again, like my previous company, we were in Barcelona and San Francisco. Um, and we actually saw that naturally nobody had an HR policy, but people in the US were starting to work like quite early, like, you know, 7 a.m., sometimes even sooner than that, probably from home the first one or two hours. And the people in Barcelona were finishing work like, you know, reasonably late, like 8 p.m., 7 p.m., 8 p.m. regularly, and sometimes even longer than that. Do you guys have some sort of policy? Did this, this did the same happen to you, or you just try to be very efficient in the overlap hours? So I think, um, you know, at Screen, we've always favored philosophy over policy. So um, what interests us is that the work gets done, and we don't really mind from where, um, at what time, and more importantly, we're building for the long term. So we want your life uh, to be better for having worked at screen and not the opposite, which is um, you know easy to say, but difficult in high growth startups. Um, um, if I take the example of my role, um, I was hiring for um, sales uh, representatives in San Francisco from Paris. Um, 
and uh, you know it would be sort of Friday evening in Paris um, looking you know so looking to close out the week saying oh, we didn't make any hires this week and then kind of saying well you know what I've still got seven hours in San Francisco and often we'd get out a last offer late on a Friday night that was accepted and made the week um, but you know that wasn't me sitting at the office for you know six hours doing it that was me living my life yeah. and then um, yeah. jumping on a quick 15 minute call um, at the end of the day uh, to basically achieve something I wanted to do so uh, we sort of take this uh, very much give and take approach to things. Um, another example, when we hired our operations manager in San Francisco, our Paris operations manager needed to onboard her uh, virtually full time for a week. Um, and so her solution was to right. work San Francisco <laughs> office, uh, office hours from home. Um, which fitted in well with her lifestyle. Her partner works in hospitality, so it worked really well. Um, and they actually saw each other more that week. So, you know, it was around f figuring out what works. That sounds really hard. I mean, onboarding is a tough task in general, doing this remotely. And from nine hour time zone difference, even harder. Yeah, I think I think there are challenges. And now I think you need to like not forget that there are super advantages with having, having basically all of the hours of the day covered, um, notably when you're working on technical products. Um, it's super nice to have around the clock support. Um, so San Francisco can take over the on-call uh, when Paris goes to sleep and vice versa. And that's something that um, you know, has just taken the the pressure off the support teams and things like that. So that's been excellent. Um, it's great to know, and uh, for a lot of cross-functional things, it's great to know that you can ping somebody and say, "Hey, I'm I'm signing off for today," and and things will still move forward. Um, and that helps by having French and English speakers in each location. So. Yeah. Um, everything like negotiating the lease for our office in San Francisco could have, you know, um, was done in part um, in Paris and in part in San Francisco. Wow, crazy. So like, what's your HR team? Do you have somebody in San Francisco full time or is it just you moving back and forth? Yeah, so basically I'm supported by um, two people who work in operations. Uh, so one in San Francisco and one in Paris who take care of everything that's uh, around uh, legal paperwork, um, payroll. Um, they also do a bunch of things uh, related to finance and office operations. Um, so that's nice for a, um, something's wrong in the minute I need some advice. There's always somebody on the ground. Um, from a recruitment, talent development, um, policy point of view, um, just me for the moment. I'm currently looking for someone to join me in Paris. And then basically we'll look also for somebody who's excellent at uh, sales recruiting in the Bay Area because that's where we'll be expanding. So coming soon. Okay. Hopefully somebody listening to this podcast maybe can apply it to, to your website. Okay, good. So one last question, Alison. Um, from your experience, uh, is there something you wish you had learned before or that if you were you know, back to your younger age, uh, you would have you know, paid more attention to? Related to HR, of course. It's a good question. There is, you know, I always say there's a lot of lessons in HR and when dealing with people that uh, you sort of, you know, you learn them and they're so painful that you never do them again. Um, and one that people often cite um, is around knowing when to let people go and when to hold on. Um, I think, you know, I think the advice I always give is that our careers are very long and the world, the world of startups, the world of tech is very small. Um, mm -hmm. And so operating with a longer term perspective on almost everything will pay off. Um, and if that's about investing in people, if that's uh, about encouraging more time off so that we can keep people for, for longer. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think one thing Screen has taught me um, is that you really do get out what you put in um, and the investment we make in the team as individuals and the more um, we view people and, and help their growth as an entire person, the more Screen benefits, even if it seems indirect. 
um, that's something that's super powerful, I think, and, and hopefully something we can bring to the industry at large. Um, our goal is, is to be much bigger um, and to be a really successful company who hasn't sacrificed on culture um, and I guess the individual employee um, joy to get there. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> 100%. So, Alison, it was a pleasure having you today. Uh, that'll be all. And we'll, you know, uh, be very happy to hear maybe in a few months or years how everything's going at screen. Hopefully, you know, keep growing fast as, as you are now. And we're going to be very interested in hearing about these retreats that you're going to do with the whole company as, you know, maybe more locations even show up. So thank you so much for being with us today and see you soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That was everything. See you next week in HR Masters. If you like this, subscribe to our channel and don't forget to tune in next week to HR Masters.